Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Michael, and today we have an opportunity to begin a new series. It's entitled Abide. And over the next three weeks, we're going to focus our attention on John chapter 15. My encouragement to us as a body of believers is that we would spend the next three weeks in personal devotion time reading John 13 through John 17 repeatedly. I encourage you to study it, to meditate on it, to pray your way through it. And I promise you, God has a word for you, for your family, and indeed a word for this church. So please, read those chapters, and particularly John 15, with eager anticipation of what God is going to do and teach you in your life. Well, this morning we begin by considering the topic of abiding in Christ. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 8 in John 15. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me there. Once you have found that passage, I would also invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word this morning. We do that here at First Southern. If you're a guest, we do that here because, indeed, Christ is King. God is uh, Lord over all of us, and His Word has authority, and so we want to acknowledge that. Look with me as John writes, records Jesus' words. John 15, beginning in verse 1. Jesus says, "I, I am the true vine... And my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. The branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. This church is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Father, we pause in this moment. We simply ask that you would, from your word, your word that changes us, your word that abides in us, Father, we pray that your word, through Christ and his spirit, would indeed transform us this morning. Father, press deep into our hearts. Lord, I pray that there would not be one of us that is not attentive to what your Spirit wants to say to us this morning. And Father, over the next few weeks, would you cause us to be a church that evermore abides in Christ. And Father, that you would be glorified in us as fruit is produced in our lives and as the gospel goes from this place. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I'm telling you, I, um, I love John 15. It is in my top three favorite passages in all of Scripture. Is it okay to have favorite passages? Romans 8, Philippians 1, John 15. Those are my top three. John 15 is one of those passages that every time I come to it, I feel like I can't yet exhaust all of the meaning all that the Spirit would want to teach me, all the things that He would want changed in my life as a result of engaging in 
those words in John 15. Remember early on in my walk with Christ, this was one of those passages that that really began to change my understanding of what it meant to remain in Christ, what it meant to abide in Christ. I was struggling with various sin areas in my life, and I wanted them put to death, and I thought, I've got the sheer power and willpower to put these things to death and and to be obedient and to walk and remain in Christ. He tells us later in this passage that to abide does mean to be obedient. So I kept coming back to this passage thinking, I, Lord, teach me, I, I can be obedient. It took me a while. He began to show me, no, you can be obedient because I'm in you. You can be abiding in me because I abide in you. My words abide in you. I am the one who makes you faithful. I'm the one that will produce fruit and change in your life. Listen, I have no idea where each of you are specifically, individually, right now in the moment, but I do know this. This passage has the power to transform you. and has the power to transform our church. And so would you please, I beg you in the next three weeks, lean in deeply into John 13 through 17, specifically John 15. See what God would do and how your life would be transformed and how we as a church body would more readily abide in Christ through his power. Well, every time I arrive in John 15, I do, as I said, I brace myself still to this day. I know that I'm going to gain a better vision of who Christ is. I know that I'm going to gain a better vision of what he has accomplished on my behalf. I also know that I'm going to see my own shortcomings in this passage my seasons of seeming faithlessness, my seasons of seeming independence from Christ, my seeming seasons of fruitlessness. But then I'm reassured that I will hear a word of Christ, that He abides in me, and therefore because He abides in me, I am able to abide in Him. I don't know how we accomplish all of that in 30 minutes this morning, but I hope you will experience just a bit of what this word can make a difference in your life and mean for you. I do want us to see Christ as the true vine. I want us to sense the grace that's evidenced in our own life that He is the one who causes us to be able to be in right relationship and remain in the Father's vineyard. That it is Christ who produces in us faithfulness, dependence, and fruitfulness. Well, our passage this morning contains words spoken by Jesus to the eleven remaining disciples on the night of his arrest. I've encouraged you again to read John 13 through 17. If we back up to John 13, we find Jesus in the upper room with his disciples. There he is washing their feet. We find Jesus there in the upper room eating a last supper, a last meal with those closest friends. We observe Judas exiting the room that night, and we hear Jesus foretelling Peter's denial. In John 14, we hear Jesus promising to go away and prepare a place in heaven for his followers. And we learn what it means that he will send to his followers the the Holy Spirit who will dwell in them. The scene is finished there in the upper room, 
And Jesus speaks to his disciples. He says, let us leave from here. And in John 15, we find Jesus and the disciples likely standing in the midst of a vineyard on a hillside on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane that evening. Imagine, if you will, you've made your way across, you're headed up the hill, and Jesus stops in the midst of a vineyard. He points to a particular vine, and there's a vine running along a trellis. And as he points, he says this in verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father, He is the vine dresser. By the time we arrive at John 15, verse 1, this is the seventh time that Jesus has used the phrase, I am. Every one of those is an amazing statement. I'm the bread of life. Here he says, I am the true vine. What does he mean by saying that? This is the night that he's going to be arrested. In less than 24 hours, Jesus will be nailed to the cross. What is it that he's trying to say to his disciples in that very trying night? I am the true vine. When answering that question, it's helpful for us to remember the Old Testament use of the vine imagery. It's common that the vine is representative of Israel, God's covenant people. What's most important to note in the Old Testament use of the historic Israel referred to as the vine most of the time, it is because Israel has failed to produce fruit. And if they have produced any kind of fruit, it's rotten fruit. And along with that identification of Israel as the vine of, of God, God's people, there's a word of judgment on the nation that is inherent. So it's against the backdrop of Israel's dramatic failure. They were to be the vine. They were to display the glory of the Father as God's people on earth. But they failed. So it's against that backdrop that Jesus claims, now listen, I am the true vine. I am the one to whom Israel pointed. I am the one who fulfills the Father's will with the With the six I am statements so far, John has argued that Jesus has appeared to the Old Covenant. He's argued that Jesus has appeared to the temple, to the feast, even to Moses himself. He's shown that Jesus is the fulfillment or the replacement. And that here Jesus supersedes Israel at the very center of being God's people. So as you read through John 15, be encouraged to go back and read Isaiah 5 and Psalm 80. We won't take the time to read those this morning, but they are clearly the backdrop, the Old Testament backdrop of this conversation. Particularly in Psalm 80, the themes of the vine and the son of man are brought together. This statement by Jesus that he is the true vine would have said to the Jews... If you want to genuinely be part of God's family, if you wish to enjoy the status of being a part of God's chosen vine, you must rightly be related to the Father through Jesus Christ. Both here in John 15 and Psalm 80, the Father is portrayed as the one who plants. He's portrayed as the one who cultivates. He is identified as the vine dresser. And in this, we are reminded in God's sovereignty and God's salvation plan. God is accomplishing His redemption plan. 
in his timing, in just the way he chose to do it. Israel always was going to point, ultimately, toward Jesus Christ and the new covenant. And so it's as if we have a turning of the page in salvation history. Jesus says, listen, the old vine didn't produce what it ought. I, I am the true vine. I am the means of salvation. I am the way that you rightly relate to the Heavenly Father. It is through me. Know this, that the only way that we are able to rightly relate to our Creator is indeed through His only Son, Jesus. That's why just one page before in John 14, verse 6, Jesus says this, Jesus said to them, said to Him, I am, another I am statement, I am the way, the truth, and the Life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is clear. The gospel is clear. There are not a multitude of ways to to relate relationship with the Creator God. There's only one way, and it's Jesus Christ alone. The rest of what we are speaking of this morning, a life of faithfulness and dependence, a life of fruitfulness, it will not be yours if you are not a branch grafted into the vine. If you do not know Christ as Savior, listen to me, you are here this morning without hope. That's what it means to not know Christ. A hopeless future. A hopeless eternity. But John writes his gospel because he wants you to believe. He wants you to believe in Christ and Christ alone. He wants you to understand that Christ is the means, the vehicle, the person through whom you can have relationship with God. That's why in John 20, he tells us the purpose of his letter. He says this in chapter 20, verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these, these things I've written in these last 20 pages, these are written so that, what? You may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that by believing, you may have life in His name. Amen? So be encouraged this morning to consider the truth that God so loved the world. That's what He... That's what John writes back in chapter 3. God so loved the world that He sent His only Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish, will not enter into a Christless eternity, but will have life everlasting, eternal life with God. So Jesus says, I, I'm the true vine. I'm the means by which you can be in right relationship with the Father, with the vine dresser of the vineyard. And listen, It is only because Christ is the true vine that you and I can live faithful lives that we are called to live, even here in this passage. Look with me in verses 2 and 6 of our passages. Jesus advances his thought. Verse 2, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. He cuts away. And every branch that does bear fruit, what does he do? He prunes it that it may bear more fruit. Verse 6, hear the judgment. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch, and he withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. 
There is a statement of judgment for those who do not have hope in Christ. Those who are not grafted into the vine. You are without hope and you will indeed be gathered and you will be pitched into the lake of eternal fire. It's a word of judgment. It's a word of warning. It's a word of caution. Here there are, in these two verses, there are two kinds of people. Those who are in faithful relationship with Christ and those who are not. The vine dresser, our Heavenly Father, has two tasks at hand, as it says here in verse 2. The cutting away of the dead wood and the pruning of the productive branches. As we've already said, the dead wood has no hope of bearing fruit. Why? Because there is no life flowing from divine. Think about it. Branches gain their very life from the vine. Scott opened us this morning talking about the the buds, the flowers that were blossoming out this week because of the warm weather on the branches. I looked out at my office window this week and I saw a tree right there in front of my office at the seminary just packed, filled with flowers. They didn't have their own energy to produce that. They have no life of their own. The life is indeed derived from the branch. And so, branches gain their very life from the vine, from the root. That sounds a whole lot like we're describing salvation in Christ, does it not? No spiritually dead man, woman, boy, or girl can breathe life into themselves. There is no personal resuscitation, right? I can't cause myself to be born again to a living hope in Christ Jesus. If you are here this morning and you're dead apart from Christ, you can't, you can't just conjure it up. You can't make yourself alive. Oh, but there is Spirit-empowered regeneration. It is Christ who empowers us. It's Christ who regenerates us. It is He who gives us life through the shedding of His own blood. For those who do not know Christ as the way, the truth, and the life, the Father removes them from the vineyard. Look again at the wording. Every, verse 2, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. Read that to yourself again. You notice those two words? There's two words in there that confuse me at times. Certainly the very first time I read this passage, I thought, oh my goodness, Lord, what, what does this mean? Every branch in me? What does in me mean? Listen, I understand the reality that if I'm not saved in Christ, I have no part in God's family. But here it says every branch in me. What does it mean in me? Does it mean the the Jews who were under the old covenant, who were once a part of God's vineyard, but now removed? Does Does it mean those who were once Christians, but now have somehow been able to turn away from their faith and walk away from God? The answer is no to both of those. Jews who never put their faith in the coming Messiah in Jesus were never actually a part of the vine. Oh, but God always kept a remnant, praise be to the Lord, right? In the nation of Israel. Oh, but so many did not trust God. Did not trust. Did not have faith in the Messiah that was to come. And they were never a part of the vine. Oh, and John 
In his gospel, he makes no allowance for genuine believers walking away from their faith. You can't be a believer and then one day say, I'm not going to be a believer anymore. God, come dwell in my life and my heart. Take residence in my life. Let's walk together. And then one day wake up and go, nah, I think I'm done with that. It doesn't work that way. Listen, Christ is the one who brings regeneration to your soul. He is the one that enlivens you. He is the one that dwells in you. That's what it says in John 14. Mutual indwelling. Christ dwells in us. And He sends the Spirit to dwell in us. Matter of fact, in Ephesians chapter 1, it says, in verse 13, it says that we have been sealed. Sealed. With a a promise of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Isn't that a beautiful thing? It's done, signed, and delivered. We don't have to doubt that God is going to walk away from us. And guess what? Even in our faithless moments, God doesn't walk away from us. Matter of fact, many places in John, but look in John 6, verse 37. All, Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. If the Father has given us to the Son, we are going to come to faith in the Son. It's it's exactly what Jesus says. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. You mean even when I have bad days, Jesus? Even when I seemingly are being faithless in my walk with you? Even in days when I'm mad at you because of the turmoil in my life? I will never. Never, never cast you out. Aren't y'all guys glad of that this morning? My security in Christ, my perseverance in the faith, it's not my own energy. It's not me that ensures it. Christ says, listen, I'm going to come and dwell and live in you, and I am never, ever going to cast you out of the Father's vineyard. Ever. So if we're truly believers in Christ... We can have confidence that we will not be cast out. It seems that John here is pointing toward those who have some type of connection with Jesus, but do not evidence, as Don Carson puts it, the pulsating life of Christ. Listen, the New Testament is filled with examples of those who had some type of connection with Christ or with the church, but were not regenerated in the faith. We're not true believers. We only have to turn back two pages in John's Gospel to find what I would say is the prime exemplar in all of the New Testament. Turn back two pages, and who exits the upper room? Judas Iscariot. who spent three years with Jesus as a close follower. By all accounts, church, he had connections with Christ. By all accounts, it seemed he was a true believer. He had a strong connection with these twelve men in Christ, 11 other men in Christ. But Judas had been among Christ's closest followers, but ultimately he proved himself to be one who never had trusted Christ. He could not with Peter say, you are the Son of the living God. You are the Christ. So what does that mean for us this morning? 
What does it mean for us as a church? Listen, it should either bring assurance to your heart or disruption to your soul. Either you are a part of the true vine, you are in Christ, or you are not. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, on that day of judgment, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did I not prophesy in your name? Did I not cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is a hard saying amongst the people I love. But Jesus' use of the vine imagery reminds us that to be a part of the vine, it means that fruit will be evidenced in our lives. It means that our lives will be marked by faithfulness. We will be a people who are remaining in Christ because of His life in us. The hard saying is this. Almost, I would almost guarantee you every church across the world have those who sit Sunday after Sunday after Sunday in the pews, who serve, who give, who do not know Christ. Only you and the Lord knows. But boy, boy, Judas sure did look like he was a disciple. I'm begging you this morning. Listen, listen, it's an, it could be a, a shaming and embarrassing thing if you had been in this church for 30 or 40 years looking like, acting like a Christian, yet in the depths of your heart you say, I'm really not a believer. And, and so you sit there quietly because you don't want everyone else to know. Don't sit there like that. I'm begging you. I love you. Don't. Do you think this congregation would point at you and make fun of you and laugh at you? No. This congregation would rejoice. Amen? We would rejoice that you've come to faith in Christ. Do not. I'm begging you. You know whether you know Christ. And if you don't, I don't care if you've been in the, I don't care if you, you were born down in the nursery, baptized in this water. If you don't know Christ, you're without hope. And you are not in Christ. And you will ultimately be removed from the Father's vineyard. And verse 6 will apply to you. So I'm begging you this morning, if you're not confident, trust Christ. Make it known. Let us walk with you in that process. Here in our passage, the vine dresser indeed has two tasks according to the Scriptures. One, he removes the dead wood. Secondly, he um, prunes the branches that are producing fruit in order what? That they might produce more fruit. Regarding pruding, we know that He is working in our lives in such a way that He will cause in us increased faithfulness. 
I don't know about you, but the idea of being pruned doesn't sound much fun at all, does it? Being pruned by the Lord is, is not generally fun. Even at times, it feels painful. Sometimes it comes through discipline. Sometimes through suffering, through loss of a various kind. Sometimes through massive disappointment. But it always has one objective, greater conformity to the image of Christ, which results in a more faithful way of living and ultimately greater fruitfulness and glory brought to the Father. Listen, we only have to turn back to John 13 and 18 and 21 to find the story of Peter, who for a moment chose to shrink away from boldness, and he denied his association with Jesus. You remember that story, right? But in the midst of that, there was pruning that took place. There was a transformation in Peter who by God's grace came through the horrific denial to be restored and commissioned as a shepherd amongst God's flock. Peter is the one who after being purified, he preached the gospel on the day of Pentecost. He saw 3,000 saved that day. If we long for greater faithfulness to be evidenced in our lives, and if we desire to be used in a mighty way like the Apostle Peter, then we must abide in Christ. Life in the Father's vineyard, it indeed requires faithfulness. But that faithfulness is not out of our own strength. That faithfulness arises because we are grafted into the true vine. Very quickly, in the next closing moments, let's consider what it means for us to live dependently upon Christ. We are in the true vine. It produces faithfulness in our lives. Look with me in verse 3 through 5 as we think about dependent living. Already you are clean, he says, because of the word I've spoken to you. You are believers. Judas has left. You, you are believers in Christ because of the word spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. Unless it, it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus brings confidence to us as he says, you are already cleaned. You're already saved. So there is a joy for us who are in Christ, who are in the vine. He says, listen, you're already clean. Then he proceeds to say, abide in Him. He tells us down in verse 13 that abiding, as we'll look at next week, it means keeping His Word, keeping His commandments. It's a way of living that's evidenced. We're called to a faithful lifestyle, but Jesus knows that if we attempt to live faithfully in our own strength, in our own power, church, listen, we will fail miserably. We don't have enough gumption to do it. Right? Most of us can't make it past 8.05 a.m. without sinning in the morning. Okay, maybe that's just me. Right? An attitude, or a commute on the way to work, a phone call, an email, a disruption, a dog that's barking, on and on and on. We must be a people who are dependent upon Him who indwells us. And we must be a people who rely on the Holy Spirit to whom He has given us and now lives in us to help us. We are told that our abiding in Christ will be evidenced by the fact that we will bear much fruit. What kind of fruit? 
Certainly, speaking the word to others, seeing the gospel go forth, seeing people come to faith in Christ because of our witness, that's certainly fruit that Christ would expect in and through our lives and through the ministry of the life of this church. But I don't think the fruit is bound just to that. I think it's much more broad. I think it's all that which would glorify the Father that could be indeed a result of our prayer life. So obedience to Christ, joy in the faith, peace in the faith, love as a result of our faith. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience. So goes the list. So we're told that when we remain, we abide in Christ it is evidenced by us bearing much fruit. Don't miss the last line of verse 5. He says, apart from me, you can do no thing. There is no fruit, church. There's no fruit that's going to be born in your life or in the life of this church without full and absolute dependence on Christ and His Spirit who indwells us. You and I cannot muster up the Christian life on our own. And you and I can't will this church forward on our own. We can't do it. Apart from Christ, apart from abiding in the vine, apart from us being dependent upon Him, we will not see great things in our life. We will not see the fruit of the Spirit produced in us. We will not see our lost family members and our neighbors come to faith in Christ. Oh, and we will not see this church fully revitalized if it is not for Christ. We, church, listen to me. I'm begging you. One of the things I want us to get from John 15 as a church is that if we're going to see Christ work mightily in this place and amongst us, we must be a people who are dependent upon Him. Radically dependent upon Him. For everything. Life in the Father's vineyard brings about faithfulness through Christ, the true vine. But life in the Father's vineyard also requires of us full and absolute dependence on Christ. Finally, may we be encouraged by the promise that we find in verse 7 and 8. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. I don't mean the 16-year-old prayer for the red Corvette. Right? Y'all didn't pray that? I prayed that. I got a red escort. I was glad. <clears throat> I just pretended. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and I, it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove evidence that you are my disciples. Fruitfulness, church, right here. Fruitfulness is directly tied to both a life of obedience. Think about that. And a life of dependent prayer. As the Word of God transforms our thoughts, our affections, our very way of living, we are more conformed to Christ, and we find ourselves wanting what He wants. Are you at that place? I want what Christ wants more than what I want. Well, that's what the Word does. It changes our desires. And so it changes what we pray for telling you. Spend time in the Word. Let it change your thoughts. Let it change the way you view the world. Let it change what you want in life. 
And the very will of God will be clearly in you. And so when you pray, you are, as Jesus instructs us, you are praying in accordance with the Father's will. And Jesus has told us just one page earlier, I will do that which you ask of me as you pray within the Father's will. I can't tell you. I wish we had time this morning. But this morning I separated some time to just catalog all the answered prayers in my life this week. Some weeks it doesn't feel quite like that. This week, oh my. I could give you seven, eight very specific prayers. And I'm not talking... Little stuff is important. Don't get me wrong. God, let me find my keys. That's important, right? God, let me, all op- let me be able to open up my locker at school. That's important. God, let me not run out of gas before I get to the gas station. But I mean big stuff. Really big things. About individuals, about my own family. I've seen answers this week about my family. Things specifically I was praying for my girls or for my wife. I haven't told them what I was praying, but I saw evidence of it this week. It's a family in our church I've been praying ardently for. I've seen evidence of God's movement in their lives this week. Praise be to the Lord. I've been asking God to go before us in the life of this church to remove barriers and obstacles that are keeping us from being able to accomplish all that He would have for us. And, oh my, I can't... At some point I'll be able to tell you about that. But God's doing amazing things. Very specific answers. And i got to tell you, it's building my faith. And it's causing me to want to be more dependent. I want to spend more time on my knees. I want calluses to grow. Because I realize in my own life, my own family, my own friends, and amongst this church, this what God wants to produce in and through us will not occur if we are not on our knees praying before the Lord. May we be a people of prayer. That's exactly what Jesus is telling us here. Aren't you encouraged when you see God answering specific prayer? I am. And it makes me want to pray some more. I want to invite you into that this week. Let's not fool ourselves into thinking that we somehow conjure up this fruit that Jesus is speaking of. It is indeed the work of Christ in and through us. Any evidenced fruit comes from our vital connection with the vine. Jesus is the one who has redeemed us. Jesus is the one who is producing life in us. Jesus is the one who is answering our prayers. And in all of that, the Father, the vine dresser, is glorified. Life in the Father's vineyard is marked by our faithfulness. It is marked by our dependence. Oh, in church, it's marked by our fruitfulness. So as we close this morning, let me ask you just three quick questions. One, evaluate. Evaluate your life. Be honest. Be raw about it. Are you dead wood or are you a faithful follower of Christ? Which category do you fall in? Either you are grafted into the vine or you're dead wood that will be cut away and on judgment day cast into the eternal lake of fire. There's no gentle way to say that. So I'm begging you, if you don't know Christ, I don't care if you've sat in this room for 40 years, 
I'm begging you, believe that God so loved you that he sent his only son, that if you would believe in him, that you would believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, as Paul says, you will be saved. And as John says, you will have eternal life and you will not perish into a Christless eternity. Confess Christ. Are you a faithful follower? Do you see evidence of that faithfulness in your life? Number two, are you attempting to produce fruit on your own? Or do you have a posture of dependence before the Lord? Oh my, if you're trying to do it in your own strength, give it up. It's going to exhaust you. It is exhausting you. Yes? Give it up. Get a posture of dependence and see what God will do. Stay out of His way. Just let Him do it. Finally, is there fruitfulness in your life? Are you seeing answered prayers? Are you praying? Is the Father being glorified by your very life and your very being? If not, begin to move in that direction. Find yourself on your knees. Find yourself living more obediently as Christ roots out sin in you. Be a more dependent, prayerful person. As a church, my challenge is very specific this week. So listen up. Here it is. I'm asking us to specifically seek to be utterly dependent upon Christ as he builds this church in this place. I'm asking that each of us would choose over the next seven days to spend at least seven minutes each day in prayer for this church. Seven days, seven minutes a day. I ran the numbers. By the time we gather next week, you know what that means? We would have prayed collectively over a hundred hours for the well-being of this church. (laughs) Jesus said, I will do what you ask. Let's ask some crazy stuff this week. You on board? What would God do? Can you imagine? What if our church spends 100 hours this week in prayer, trusting, asking God to build our faith and dependence, that He would go before us and He would accomplish what He wants in our midst, that His will would be done? And that he would be glorified. I can only imagine. I can only imagine the lives that would be changed. The people who would repent. The people who would come to faith in Christ. The barriers, the obstacles that would be removed. The people who would be moved to serving him in this place. Come on, y'all aren't excited about that? That's the challenge. Seven minutes a day for seven days. Let's ask God. Oh, if you're doing more, don't lessen up, okay? But let's see what God will do. Pray. Here's some things. Pray for the leadership to have godly wisdom in this place. Please. Pray that each of us would have at least one gospel opportunity this week. Think about that. That would be over 100 presentations or, or at least beginnings toward a gospel presentation in people's lives this week alone. Pray that God would save lost people in our circles this week. Pray that God would... Create in us a greater generosity in the use of our time, talents, and treasures. Pray that, that God would give us a greater hunger for His Word. Pray that God would give us a greater desire to see our community transformed through gospel hope. Anything else you want to pray in those directions? Christ says, I am the true vine. And it is through Him that we have the ability to remain faithful sons and daughters of the king. There is wisdom in our great dependence. And there is fruitfulness that results. I don't know about you, but I want to live life well in the Father's vineyard. I want my life marked 
by faithfulness. I want my life marked by dependence. I indeed want my life marked by fruitfulness. And as your pastor, one of your pastors, I want our church to be marked by those things. May it be. If you're here today without Christ, do not let another day pass. Come now and let's talk about it. Let's get you moving in that direction. Let's answer questions. Do not be ashamed of the gospel, Paul says, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Let's see what God will do as he changes our hearts. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for our time in the Word this morning. We thank you for our time uh, in song this morning and in prayer. Father, we know that you are working in us. God, I don't know what all you want to do in each of our lives, but I just pray you do it as you're doing it even now. Call out boys and girls, men and women, to salvation in Christ. Call out men and women to be dependent, faithful, and fruitful. Lord, whatever barriers, whatever sins, whatever's keeping us from it, root it out this morning. May you be glorified in all of us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.